Let's go to Tool then. And uh, so Tool there is the founder of Secret Network. Uh, Tool, if you could give us a quick intro into uh, what Secret is. Um, and, uh, you know, um, we'll keep it really quick and light just because uh, we will go into more detail as we talk about uh, talk about projects. And I'll give you some questions as well. Thanks. Uh, to be clear, there is no founder of Secret Network. There is a founder of Secret Foundation. That's me. There's a lot of entities that support our network, um, many of whom are represented in the audience right now. So I just want to clarify, you can't, you, there is no founder of Secret Network. <laughs> No, fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> yes, I, but, I, 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 meant, I meant the uh, foundation. I apologize, but uh, yes. <laughs> hey, no worries. No worries, no worries. Well, I should say what the network is, though. So Secret Network uh, is the only mainnet blockchain with data privacy by default, and every public blockchain suffers from the same issue, which is that everything is public by default, public by design. That's a major issue because you don't want everything on a blockchain to be public, just as you don't want everything about your personal information in the legacy world to be public. Uh, unfortunately, starting with public by default means it's pretty much impossible to go private. But if you start private by default, you can selectively reveal information within an application as a user to other users. You can introduce what we call programmable, blah, programmable privacy controls into your decentralized applications. Um, so we provide a very unique functionality for the Web3 and blockchain space. Uh, we launched this functionality on our mainnet in September of last year. Since then, we've scaled out our DeFi ecosystem and a lot of initial applications. So very excited to see what's coming next. On Wednesday, we're launching uh, Secret Swap. So we'll probably get a chance to talk about that. But yeah, if you yeah, think about Secret, the only thing to relate to... <laughs> only thing to take away there is um, we are one of a kind and we have a focus on data privacy. Uh, and it makes us uh, it makes us very excited about what's to come for Web three and blockchains. Brilliant. We're going to touch more on that in a lot more detail in the in the talk. Today, so that's great. Uh, I wonder if Adriana is back with us. Um, yes. yes, she is. There we go. So, as I was saying, Adriana Mendez is CEO of Cypherglass, and if you could tell us a bit about what Cypherglass do in re in regards to DAP development, uh, and then also your relationship with EOS as well. I think it'd be cool just to get a quick heads up about what you do. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm the CEO and co-founder of Cypherglass, and we are most notably known for um, being a, a founding block producer on the EOS public uh, network. And we helped launch that network in 2018 and um, have taken the journey along with that public network and the development of tools and resources on that. Um, but we have also built out uh, a services part of our, our company uh, most recently, and we've taken on uh, blockchain infrastructure services and sysadmin services, kind of helping uh, other EOSIO networks grow into um, into better networks. Uh, we're also um, doing a lot of research on history nodes and how they operate and help public networks and, and how to decentralize that data. Um, and we sponsor a lot of development work in the EOSIO community itself around dApps. Um, so we we kind of act as um, somewhat of a, a angel investor with our profits from the blockchain nodes that we run. That's brilliant. Thank you, Adrian. That's great. Um, so yeah, I wanted to really start off with kind of uh, just touching on, uh, I think, a big subject at the moment um, is definitely privacy and uh, security in, in regards to blockchain technology. And we are seeing a lot of movement towards DeFi uh, projects and DEXs. Um, and you know, we're, we're hearing about sort of like you know, hacks and things like that happening. But there's also like a kind of a, another side to things as well, where we, we're seeing people move towards, I think, decentralized exchanges and decentralization in general um, as a result of what they're seeing from uh, mainstream uh, financial institutions at the moment. And uh, one of the things I wanted to talk, touch on is the whole uh, GameStop uh, fiasco and situation, which I know is like it's kind of simmered down now. But I thought that that, uh, that to me kind of created an awareness in people who maybe aren't involved in the blockchain space like we are, um, an awareness of how much control a lot of these institutions have over, over the, you know, the financial uh, system and over uh, how people can invest and all the rest of it. Uh, to me, it seemed like it woke a lot of people up who were, you know, who were interested in stocks or maybe just got involved in GameStop because of the kind of the meme of it. Um, but what, what do you guys feel about 
about this kind of push towards decentralization. Um, do you see it being, do you see like, do you see yourselves as a threat towards uh, the establishment or do you think that um, this is just the natural way things have to go? I, I suppose I'll let uh, maybe, maybe Matt um, kick in with that one first and then I'll go around to see what you guys think. Yeah, I think it was definitely uh, an interesting situation and um, there is definitely an appetite based on what we're seeing to move towards a decentralised um, approach. And I think this is maybe where Tor is going to probably talk to, to you about the privacy aspect of it. So if things are private, people can't see what people are investing in. It makes it very hard for people to front run um, investments and what's taking place. So when, you, when you're in a situation that's not only decentralized, but there's privacy layered on top of that, it makes it a lot easier to allow, I guess, the layman like you and me to make investments and not be rug pulled by the big investors in terms of what we typically see at the moment. So I'm, I'm really bullish around the, the decentralization aspect layered onto the fact that the, the privacy aspect could help the everyday man as well. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that, definitely. And I, I wonder at all, uh, there's recent news about um, in Brazil, there was a massive leak of, uh, of data, um, which basically put like 200,000 uh, Brazilians' data out into the sort of like public domain. And uh, this was quite big big sort of story it was uh, people's basically their social social security numbers and all the rest of it um and you know in a way like that's a, that's something that uh, you know uh, privacy on the blockchain would would kind of solve isn't it um at the moment blockchains are very open but uh tell, maybe you could talk to us about how um how with secrets network something like that could you know would be sort of secure secured <laughs> Sure. Uh, so something that I've said in a few different places is that decentralization to work requires, I think Matt just kind of spoke to that. Like if we're going to have decentralized liquidity platforms, we need to have privacy preventions for users so they don't get front run and rug pulled and everything else. That's part of our vision. But the other side of that is I believe that privacy solutions need decentralization to succeed. So the reason for that is because there isn't much incentive for centralized entities to protect users. You know, whether you're, whether you're, I'm talking about a corporation and your users are the users of your product, or whether I'm talking about a government and your users are your citizens. Like the problem is just that the incentives aren't aligned. Governments want to protect all their own secrets and not yours. They want to know all of yours. Corporations want to protect their trade secrets, but they want to know everything about their customers and they'll hoover up that data. Um, and then they won't always protect it um, from data leaks and, and hacks. So I believe that to really protect consumer privacy, user privacy, citizen privacy, we need decentralized solutions that are more robust, where the incentives are aligned, where the people who help operate that network are incentivized to protect your privacy, rather than to try to absolutely learn everything about you. And if we can build those types of networks, and that's sort of what we're aiming secret to be, then I believe that will be sustainable and I believe it will work. But decentralization and privacy desperately need each other. Can, can uh, I have a question for you. Do, is there ever a, a case where you feel like public networks should have um, transparency in them? Like, are there models or, or transactions that you think um, like privacy, sh privacy like secrets shouldn't be built in for um, like transparency purposes? The way that we solve that, in our, so yes, absolutely. Um, we call it programmable privacy because what we say is we want you to be able to choose what's public and what's private, and that's giving choice to the users. Really, when we talk about privacy protections for users, we're never just talking about letting them put a mask on and hide away. We're talking about letting them choose what's shared with whom under what circumstances. So a, a programmable privacy network, like Secret Network, is allowing users of that network to choose what's shared in which context. So we have viewing keys in the network where as the address owner, you can generate a viewing key and then you can view the interactions you're having with the encrypted smart contracts. And you could share that viewing key if you wanted to prove to another party that you made that interaction with that smart contract. Uh, the problem is going the other way. The pro problem is if you have a public by default network, 
it's just absolutely impossible to then make that information private again. So you're not giving people a choice. The only choice is everything public. The only way to give users choice is to start privacy by default and then give them opt-in transparency. Nice. Um, and I'm sorry not to hijack this. I had one more question for you. Um, as a node operator, I'm just interested to know how, how Secret operates and who runs the nodes and what the consensus is. Great question. I'll, I'll do it really quickly. It's, it's uh, based on a Tendermint chain. It's a delegated proof of stake network. Right now, it's capped at 50 nodes. All 50 nodes are active. The 50 um, nodes selected are the are the highest by staked and, and delegated coins. Each node has to run uh, secure Enclave-enabled hardware, and that's what permits the network to operate like it does, where the nodes themselves actually can never access the raw data that's being used by the smart contracts for the applications. So there's a bit of a higher hardware barrier for the nodes, but mm -hmm. uh, that's what provides the privacy guarantees. It's a good trade-off between usability and security yeah. from what we've found. That, that's awesome. Um, I My hat is off to you. That is a very well-designed <laughs> network. <laughs> so, so, Tor, just a, just a question for you, Tor. So, do you, how do we think we change the media's perception of privacy? Because there's quite a good article in a British uh, paper the other day regarding the Queen trying to hide her transactions and where she was investing uh, her money. So she could actually be quite a big proponent of privacy coins. <laughs> but how do we, how do we try, how do we as a, as a kind of, I guess a community drive that change to show the benefits? I think you touched on it. You said there's the ability to view all the transactions. So if you are making money, you can prove it to the, the tax man to see how much money you're making. But the press is very good at painting this picture that privacy is bad, and that's why blockchain shouldn't be allowed. Can I, can I also tack on there as well before Tor answers? Um, I mean, also, could Tor maybe just quickly, for anybody who isn't aware of Secret or knows of it properly, um, just sort of explain how uh, Secret is different from privacy coins? Because I see a lot of people, when I bring up Secret, uh, network. They go, oh, privacy coins, they're being banned on exchanges and all the rest of it. But Secret itself isn't a privacy coin, is it? Yeah, that, that's a good note. And I'm really fascinated by Matt's question too, so I'll get to it as fast as I can. Yeah, Secret, the blockchain, the, the native coin of the blockchain is public. You can see all of the interactions that people are using sending Secret around the network. That's, that's part of this balance between privacy and, and transparency with Secret Network. You can see which address are staking what or doing what. But all the contracts deployed on the network are encrypted. So the tokens deployed on Secret Network, like ERC-20s are on Ethereum, you know, those are tokens. We have SNP-20s on Secret Network. Those are privacy tokens. Their balances are encrypted. Interactions with those tokens are encrypted. Again, I think that's the right architecture, especially if you're trying to ensure that there can be liquidity for the underlying asset of the network. Yeah. And assuming that, and I guess that answers my question, but assuming you guys are trying to build out a, D, uh, a DeFi kind of ecosystem. We'll get, we'll get there. Yes. It's, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to chill too early, but yes, it's, it's, honestly. it's already, it's, it's already live. Our AMM launches in two days, but we'll get there. I really want to answer Matt's question because it's critical for all of us to be aligned on it. If it's going to work, how do we change the press perception? Um, Matt's completely correct. There is a bias against privacy in the press when it comes to transactional privacy specifically. But there's a bias towards privacy in the press suddenly when it comes to Equifax leaking all of your data. So when I talk to journalists and I try to walk them through this, I, I explain the necessity of privacy from the perspective of a user of an application as opposed to the user of a uh, of, of Monero or Zcash or something like that. When, when, you, when you think of the entire purpose of a coin, being to hide value from somebody else, yes, it starts to sound a little darknet. But when you talk about the value of a permissionless internet, suddenly journalists are like, yeah, I love the permissionless internet. And then you say, okay, well, now imagine that you're using the permissionless internet and you have a decentralized Facebook, but absolutely everybody knows everything that Facebook knows about you, except not only Facebook knows it, every other person does. Like that's the, that's the nightmare version of Facebook. That's not the better and improved version of Facebook. The right version of Facebook allows users to you know, actually have control of their own data. And then you kind of show, walk, working backwards, you lead them to conclusion that without privacy controls for developers and users, you're just, you're, you're just going to create something so much worse <laughs> than what we're already dealing with in the Web2 world. 
Um, but you can't start by explaining privacy as a human right. I've tried it. You really have to work back from like, what is the user experience? What is the security model of these applications? And then they say, oh, I never really thought about it that way, but it makes total sense. I don't want to leak my Uber address to all of these strangers on a decentralized Uber. That, that seems to be the most successful analogy. Right, yeah, I, 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 yeah. Sorry, I was going to just say, I like that example. I think that, that works. And, and, and it's definitely not an approach that I've thought about before. So uh, sorry, uh, Adrian, I didn't mean to cut you, cut you off there uh, with my comment, but- uh, No, I'm sorry. <laughs> You're good. All right, no problem, no problem. So uh, what I wanted to do though is uh, you, you have mentioned Secret Swap a couple of times at all, and it does tie in with my uh, first comment there about the whole GameStop GameStop um, stock sort of situation and uh, and how we do, you know, people are now looking at decentralization. And it was kind of pretty much very soon after that situation that we saw uh, DeFi projects do incredibly well. Now, I think they were going to do very well in the market anyway, but it did seem like there was a sudden kind of uh, burst of, of enthusiasm for them uh, in, in the market itself after this whole situation occurred. Um, and of course, you are now working on Secret Swap, and uh, it would be great that, you know, uh, to, to sort of like segue into what that is uh, for people. I'll, I'll do it real quick. So, you, you guessed correctly, Adriana, this is exactly the dream of our ecosystem is cross chain, front running, resistant private liquidity. Uh, is one of the main use cases short-term for the network. So we launched a bridge to Ethereum in December, allowing anybody to turn their Ethereum and ERC-20 assets into secret tokens. And again, secret tokens are these like ERC-20 equivalents on secret network. So the next logical step is let people trade them for each other. So just like Uniswap lets you trade any ERC-20 for any other, secret swap lets you trade any secret token for any other. But a secret token can represent anything. It can be native to our network. It can represent a real-world asset. It can represent your Ethereum assets over the bridge. Or we can build bridges to any other ecosystem. So currently, there is a bridge in development to Polkadot. There are other bridges um, that I'm not permitted to speak of. Um, but the idea is that secret swap becomes this front-running resistant because of the encrypted contracts were front-running resistant by design. But you also get these privacy qualities of secret tokens. So Secret Swap launches on Mainnet Wednesday. It's been on Testnet for two weeks. There's already $50 million of value locked in the Ethereum bridge um, in anticipation of this. So the goal for the next couple of months is to just keep scaling out this ecosystem, build more bridges, and show people what's possible when you have uh, you know, privacy by default DeFi. Show it how it's so much better for users uh, who really should be the winners. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, so, I mean, already with Secret Network, there's plenty of incentives. Um, what are the actual incentives on the on Secret Swap itself? The the decks. What 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 are those? Uh, there is a native governance token for Secret DeFi, uh, just like there's a governance token for Uni. Like fees on Uniswap are paid in ETH, but there's a governance token which is Uni for the network, and there's a fee capture yeah. mechanism. Similar on Secret Network, there's a native governance token for our DeFi ecosystem, but fees on the network are paid in secret. You know, all, all smart contract interactions on our network, you pay secret to interact with the network, just like ETH on Ethereum. So that's that the function of the governance token. There's going to be some other rewards, uh, either in secret or in other things, but we, we want it to be worth people's while. You know, you, you have to bootstrap liquidity incentives in the early stages. It is yeah. not native to Ethereum, so it take, there's a little bit of a learning curve, but the, the early users seem very committed, uh, and nothing makes me happier than seeing people commit to practice. Yeah, no, I, I mean, definitely. I, I think that uh, it, one of the things that's, that's really good about the, the, you know, what you're saying with Secret Swap is that with a lot of the DeFi, uh, you know, DEXs that we have, uh, you know, Sushi Swap and others like that, they are basically full on clones of Uniswap. Uh, but what you're doing is actually it is actually very different in in the fact that we have that you have that front running resistance we talked about and obviously the 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 privacy there too so i yeah i mean i think that that uh sets it aside from from all of from these other ones in, in quite a, a substantial way um but one thing i want no, um, no, no you're welcome uh, what i wanted to do was i wanted to quickly ask adriana because obviously um 
with uh, with Cypherglass, you, you you provide blockchain services um, and DApp development with with clients. Um, obviously, most of them, I imagine, are um, are enterprise users. It, do they also have like a a desire for privacy on their networks um, and and uh, are most of their chains pri uh, you know, private blockchains that they want developing. Um. So the short answer to this is yes. Um, I think that privacy is a, a concern of anybody that's building on a blockchain. A blockchain is a database, and you definitely think of how you're securing that data um, when you're building applications around it. So it's definitely a question we get asked and um, that we have to address. And I think that uh, this is a really interesting way to address it. Um, as somebody who operates nodes both on the public and private side, um, the the network secret network is already very appealing to me for several reasons. The first being that it, it is a layer one, which is pretty amazing in its own right. Um, that it can kind of act as a layer two, but it is a layer one. There's a lot of um, really strong qualities in that, um, you know, being kind of permissionless and and being truly decentralized. So, as someone who operates nodes and makes strategic investments into um, you know, like public nodes we're going to operate as miners, you know, quote unquote miners, this would be a network that we would look at um, putting into our portfolio as a blockchain infrastructure company. Okay. Uh, Sounds good to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm like, what is this built on? How do I operate? I'm already sitting here, um, you know, thinking, how do I incorporate the networks that we're operating, uh, you know, and build bridges for secret and, all of the wonderful applications that come along with that chosen privacy um, without the threat of that token being shut down. Um, you know, understanding the, all of these things line up um, is, is takes time and years and years in the industry. But um, what Tor is saying as someone who's operated knows for three years is music to my ears. Yeah. I think no, just going to add, just from a, a Zillica perspective as well, as I said at the start, we really are uh, proponents of private networks. I think from our perspective at the moment, we've got an off-chain solution that we've got in play with Incognito. And in the roadmap, there is a desire to kind of get uh, Zillica Snark enabled on layer one so that we can have um, a privacy network uh, on-chain. And I think importantly, as we're kind of talking about the, the public or decentralized networks, that's going to be really important because I, I guess, interestingly, on that, that topic of GameStop, we had uh, Shamath actually reach out to us, um, post a, a Twitter um, sparring session, asking us to give a proposal around how you create a decentralized hedge fund. So that was quite an interesting uh, conversation and we're still waiting to hear what uh, the outcome could potentially be of that. So maybe for the next uh, um, conversation we have, we can talk about that. No, for the next conversation we have, we invite him. <laughs> Indeed, that, that would be good. Yeah, no, I, I think that's, um, I think that's, yeah, I, I was going to ask you about uh, about what you were doing on Zill anyway, because uh, uh, you've obviously answered that with the, Z, the ZK snarks and stuff like that. Um, I am going to, I am going to quickly swing it around to um, another part of, um, so this is to tour, but it then goes back to you, Matt, after this. Um, and that's um, about NFTs. And I remember listening to Tor talk um, online uh, a little while ago about NFTs on Secret and the idea that you could have privacy with NFTs um, so that your actual art or your music is actually private until someone purchases, which I thought was a, a very interesting concept. Um, and I, I wanted to ask you, Matt, um, about um, NFTs and incentivizing creators um, and whether, you know, what, what Zill, Zill's doing, uh, that side of things themselves. Um, specifically around NFTs or? or well, more product. about product-wise about incentivizing creators. Um, okay. And uh, I think there'll be interesting things there to talk about. All right, cool. So from our perspective, NFTs have been absolutely going off the hook. We've, uh, I don't know if you saw, we had Soldier Boy. I think a lot of people are reaching out, but I think you created a 10 limited edition um, 
Soldier Boy NFT. We've got a few other um, stars in the background looking for us to potentially come up with some solutions that I think will be quite innovative. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to seeing what happens there. Um, in terms of real world utility, we've been done, doing some really cool stuff regarding tokenization and we've got a project that will be announced or there was a, a kind of an announcement of the weekend where X Academy have created this education platform that's using tokenization essentially to drive engagements of users. I think there's been a realization by individuals that if they're going to take part in platforms, there's an expectation that they're going to be rewarded for that investment in time. And I think what Ollie and the team X Academy are, are going to deliver on that platform specifically around um, influencers, I think it's going to be absolutely massive. So I think this is the year, I think, outside of privacy for tokenization. And some of the stuff that Zill's been doing in terms of tokenizing whiskey, which obviously is a Scotsman's dear to my heart, things around um, unstoppable domains when it's obviously not privacy, but when you think about censorship, we're starting to see some real-world utility coming onto the Zillica platform that isn't just focused on price. And I think that's, that's important because we want to be seen as the, I guess, the invisible innovation. And with applications like X Academy, HG Exchange, Package Portal, to name but a few, we're starting to see ourselves as the Twilio, the Stripe of the, the blockchain world. So I'm really excited for what, what's coming down the pipe with Zillica. And there's a few other projects that we'll be announcing um, sooner rather than later that hopefully will excite our community. I think that's really great. Actually, you touched there on censorship as well, and that's something that is again ties in with uh, you know ties in with this sort of call for decentralisation as well. People are worried about uh, you know overzealous censors. Um, you know, we've seen that with um, payment providers uh, refusing to manage payments for certain groups or certain people some of them maybe don't deserve to be on the you know but you know at the same time it's like you know companies making these decisions it's kind of a scary thing uh, when you think about it um we've seen quite a bit of that recently so i do think that's interesting you you, you touch on that because i think that ties in with the whole privacy thing and security as well um and uh yeah i wanted to um I wanted to just quickly um, see if anybody in the in the chat has any questions, uh, and I want to just also very quickly check our Telegram group to see if there's anybody asking anything in the Telegram group. Would you guys mind if if there's some questions that yeah, now I'd put them out to you? Not at all. Cool, brilliant. It depends what the questions are. <laughs> I can't promise to have an answer. Exactly. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. I think that yeah, that's a good point. Um, if you if you have any questions in the chat, there, please pop your hand up. Um, it's uh, there's a button down in the bottom of Clubhouse to do it, um, and uh, I will uh, I will activate you and bring you up onto the stage to ask your question. Um, I think that uh, I think Lee wanted to ask something. I know he was he had a question in mind earlier. Is Lee about? Hey, All right, James. Hey, um, how you doing, mate? Yeah, what I want to know, as someone who's building some myself, what are you guys doing as regards how the market's going to react to building a project now that over the next 12 months, we're going to see a very volatile, probably bearish market? Um, and what are the kind of, you know, demands on you guys to obviously... You know, you're going to, you probably, I'm talking, you know, mainly Zillica and, and Tor. You're going to create great projects. Everyone's getting excited, but you're obviously, the market's just going to go down, isn't it? There's nothing we can kind of do about it. So at the moment, we're kind of in heading to the mania phase. I guess, how do you feel about, you know, building it long term? And what, um, what are you guys doing regards that? You know, you're still going to, you know, use market makers or is it just kind of time to, time to build rather than do any promotion over that period? I'm hearing two questions. Um, the one is the begged question of, are we about to enter a massive bear market after a period of expansion? And then the other question of, are we building for the long-term? I know that, uh, well, so I, yeah, I, mean, I, I mean, I know you guys are building for the long-term, 
And I know we're probably going to enter a bit. I mean, we, have, we the way the market goes, I just want to know um, how how you how you guys kind of feel as founders of companies handling that amount of pressure when it you know when when as the market goes on the way on the way down. Does do you do you still continue promoting the project, or are you just going to kind of head down and work? Well, um, I'll, I'll go ahead. No, uh, I I have an answer to this. I think if if um, oddly enough, just having managed a crypto like a company that relies on the price of a token um like that that comes down to good like good portfolio management for your company and good planning and good pro like good preparing for those times and and those lulls yes i think that's when the most building gets done it's actually very noisy during a bull market and it's hard to sift through you know what i call the bull market bullshit and um, so for me, during the, the lulls, that is building time and keep my head down time and like don't spend a whole bunch of money time. And then during bull markets, that's the time where I can take the moment to make some good moves for my company and ensure um, like a longer roadmap for us. Uh, yeah. So answer from a Zill perspective. <laughs> so I think from a Zill perspective, it's always been clear that we are a building business. So I think when you look at what's in our roadmap, and I'm not going to probably go into every detail about it, there is a lot in the, in the runway in terms of what we're developing. I think on the commercial aspect, I guess I've been brought in to the business just in terms of driving uh, those utility that we talked about with X Academy, with XFERS or whoever that needs to be. But on, on the flip side, we're also going aggressively to invest in different projects as well. So when we think about Zillica Capital is going to be forming, I would suggest, in the next month or so, they're all about where can we invest money in terms of driving um, applications onto the Zillica network. So again, I'm pretty bullish, even if we were going into a bear market, what where Zillica's focus is, is driving out the decentralization with our, I don't know, our Zill swap with our DEX, with our make or die type application that's going to drive um, a stable coin into our network. I think if you're asking Lee, is Zillica in for the long haul and are we going to keep building? Are we going to be acquiring? Are we going to be seeing more utility? I genuinely think we are. Well, from our perspective, um, we started in our first iteration in 2015. So we've seen multiple cycles. So far, this one feels better than every other cycle. So I don't have the same sort of bearish outlook. And in fact, I think that this is the first time that not only is there demand for the technology that we're building, but the thesis has already been proved. Like people know that what we're building is needed and it's just a question of execution. So I, I actually feel better than I've ever felt before from that perspective. Now, how the market is going to value it, that's really up to the market. From the perspective of sustainability, uh, we have multiple independent development teams in our ecosystem. Many of them are currently capitalized for the next four to five years. We're not fundraising, we're just building. We've been building. We have, I consider community a moat. We have a massive community. They've been through a lot. They've helped the project not only survive, but thrive. A number of existential events. So we are very focused on no matter what comes from the market valuation perspective, we always focus on our differentiation. And I feel like a lot of projects, especially layer ones, have problems with differentiation because they're all the same. Blockchain is slightly faster with slightly different investors, with you know, some slightly more based in Asia, some slightly more based in the West. And you know, nobody has really built for data privacy. And I feel confident so long as we know what differentiates us and so long as we remain collaborative and interoperable. The only things that I think would kill you transitioning from this bull market back into a bear is if you tried to build a walled garden, if you didn't invest in community, and if you didn't have a differentiator. But the, that describes plenty of projects, and we're going to lose a bunch of. Okay, I mean, there's some great, some really yeah, great, re answers, re re really, co really cool guys. Thanks for that. Cheers. Hi, cheers, Lee. Thank you for the question. That's really great. Uh, I think yeah, it's it's a good one, um, and uh, you know, it's like um, I know Tor, we said beforehand one of the problems with a bull market is and, and actually adriana you touched on it in your answer as well is um when you are in the bull market it's very hard to kind of differentiate projects that are 
um, long-term uh, good you know, projects that have value. Um, and I know we were talking about how influencers can be, you know, can get it wrong because during a bull market, there's so many new things happening uh, that you don't see the ones that are going to be, the, you know, there's a lot of hype around certain things without there being perhaps the the back the backup to make it really last. Um, but, uh, you know, I like the fact that, you know, like you say, you guys have been in the space for uh, for quite a while now anyway, been through those cycles. Um, and uh, I think that even though Lee seems a little bit more worried about the market, I do agree uh, with you guys that it doesn't look like we're near that transition to the bear market anytime soon. But, um, of course, it is something to, to keep in mind. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not worried. I mean, I think we've probably got at least nine, ten months left. But, you know, ultimately the market turns. And I know there's a lot of pressure on on everybody. Do you know what I mean? You've kind of still got to kind of build with a token in mind, unfortunately. But um, anyway, let's not go into that. I'm, I'm, cut me off. <laughs> Take me off. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right, no worries then. Thanks. Um, uh, so, yeah. Um, no, that's great. That's great. So, yeah, I, I think that... It's good questions. Anybody else got any questions in the chat there? Um, I'm over on Telegram as well to see if anybody's got anything they want to ask. Um, so, yeah, um, I think that uh, some really good stuff there. Um, now, what was it I needed to, to ask about? So, uh, I guess um, we've got a few things happening this week uh, with, with, uh, with Secret Network. So, you've got, uh, obviously, you've got Secret um, Swap coming Wednesday. Um, and, and Matt, you've got, uh, you've, you've got this project with X Academy coming up soon. What, what you, I don't think you said when you're, when, when it's launching or, or when we're going to hear more details. Uh, there'll be announcement, some announcements this week. I'm loath to give anything away just now, I'm afraid. Sure. No, 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 it's fine. That's fine. As long as we, as long as we have a hint at when we can get more info on it, I don't think that'll be <laughs> good to definitely find out. Um, uh, and uh, Adriana, so uh, obviously with EOS, uh, you've been a block producer for them. Um, have, have you got anything interesting coming up that you'd like to let people know about? Yeah, actually, um, I think it's worth noting that the EOS network just passed a new resource model and will be kind of switching up um, how the CPU is distributed. And I think that's more important to developers, if anything, um, just understanding that resources are a little bit more readily available on the EOS network currently. Um, and we've also seen um, a couple of DeFi products come out from the EOS environment that are interesting, things like DeFi Swap and Vigor. So those are two things that I think are notable that are going on in our ecosystem right now. Yeah, yeah definitely. I think that's similar to kind of where Zilla is as well. As I kind of touched on it earlier, we, we launched our DEX about three months ago, and I think we're up to about $50 million state, which probably puts us about number 11 or 12 in DEXs overall. So that's pretty good in terms of just the fact we've got three tokens. I think Tor mentioned that he's got an ETH bridge already built. Ours is coming quite soon as well. So we're really excited to see how much um, total value locked we'll see once we've got some more um, tokens onto that platform. So Tor, I might actually get some insight in terms of what was the motivation or how you kind of drive people to kind of get some uh, tokens off onto that bridge. I think another big area that Zill's been working on or focused on is around our governance token, GZIL, which is all about this drive or, or striving to towards being decentralized. Um, that was launched with our, our staking program, which has been really successful as well. I think we've had over four and a half billion Zill staked, which is about 32% of our circulating supply. So uh, we're really tough with that. But on the flip side with our, with our staking, how do we get access to that liquidity to drive more stuff? Well, that's where the, the kind of this um, uh, make or die type pillar protocol that we've built out. So people will be able to use their stake tokens as part of that to then get liquidity and get um, a, a dollar um, loan off the back of it. So we've got a lot of initiatives, um, a lot of things coming. And back to Lee's point where he said, what are Zill building? I think we could probably have a whole session talking about exactly what's going on in the DeFi space from our perspective. Yeah, I, I, that's, that's, uh, that's great. Actually, it brings up, I know it sort of sounded like I was wrapping things up, but it does actually generate a new question for me, which is surrounding governance tokens. And obviously we saw with um, XRP, 
um, and Ripple, uh, the SEC have kind of been on their backs uh, for a while anyway. We've kind of known that they wanted to do something about XRP. Um, but um, one of the things that I, I wanted to ask about was obviously there, there is definitely a move towards governance tokens from a lot of projects. Um, and um, I, I wonder, obviously part of that is about decentralization. Also is part of that uh, to do with um, is also part of that to do with um, avoiding sort of a lot of the pitfalls with regards to the SEC and the sort of uh, the legal side of things. I can try to answer this. Yeah, please. Yeah, yeah, please. Um, yeah that'd be great. So we have on as a Tendermint chain, we have on-chain governance for a number of network parameters and also community spend proposals and things like that. So there's protocol level governance, but then there's also application level governance. And it just turns out that at different layers of the stack of the Web3 stack, you want independent governance. And we actually are launching a governance token for the Secret DeFi ecosystem that's bridged across to Ethereum and that can utilize other bridges elsewhere in the ecosystem. So it's bridged to other chains as well. And now, so we're starting to see governance tokens that are sort of independent from an individual chain, even if that chain has its own governance. Uh, so some of it is just like an architectural decision and you don't want the same group performing governance for your application layer as you do for your protocol governance layer. And maybe you even subdivide governance of the protocol into saying certain subset of the protocol should be, like inflation should be governed by a certain set of users, spend should be governed by another, and so on and so forth. Um, the part where it gives you, you know, sort of this regulatory resistance, that is partially what I think is making things popular. Um, although it remains to be seen exactly how much resistance that actually gives you. I, I just think like this is a year where regulators have fallen very far behind for obvious reasons. There's a global pandemic, so this is not their primary focus, which isn't to say that they won't catch up. Um, the other piece of governance tokens is that people have realized in a bull market, you can launch a governance token first and ask questions later, and people will compete for it because they think they can sell it <laughs> to somebody else. That is the most obvious use case for a governance token, and it's not not something I particularly care about because it's not remotely sustainable. But that said, it is a good bootstrapping mechanism if you're building something and you really don't care what happens in six months. Yes, all right. that's a really good, really good answer. I think we've got, uh, is that Rory um, in the chat there? Yeah, hi guys. Um, it's a great conversation. Um, I just, just picking up on you know, a few points. Um, I guess one that, that Tor made earlier around uh, around privacy and, and community, and and you know, it's a fascinating point about about you know, um, obviously the the community being incentivized to to drive their own privacy, and then obviously the the, the points that Matt was making around how how Zill are incentivizing their own community. But I suppose how how do you think that the 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 blockchain space can can move away from a price-based kind of conversations and and really drive it into the projects and 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 you know move away from the maybe a bit of speculation and into the kind of the real fascinating use cases that that there are. Um, how, how do you think it's best to do that? That's a great question. <laughs> um, so um, yeah, I mean, I, I think you guys can jump in. Well, I think from Zilliqa's perspective and where I'm focused, which is more on the enterprise applications, I look at the one that we launched recently with HG Exchange, which is about allowing, which maybe doesn't sit with the, the DeFi uh, movement, but this is the ability for people to buy a fractional share or fractional ownership of Casa Whiskey. So while it might not necessarily be apparent that they're using the blockchain to do it, it's starting to show enterprises that things about automation, driving out cost, can actually leverage blockchain technology to do that. And as we start, start to see um, more organizations as part of this global pandemic looking for the opportunity to drive out cost, I think the fact that the infrastructure layer and the maintenance of that is handled by the blockchain platform per se, I think we might start to see a lot more organizations start to look seriously at the opportunity of leveraging blockchain to build applications, whether you want to call them decentralized applications, just applications. I do th think we will start to see more applications being built on blockchain fabrics. 
So, do you think then that we will end up seeing kind of almost like, uh, almost like a split, like in in the way that we have our projects where we're all sort of trading the coins and all the rest of it, and then it's actually going to be sort of people building on your platforms uh, quietly in the background. The ones that are going to be the ones that kind of. Uh, like like uh, Rory's asking, move away from that price-based conversation speculation because they're doing it and they're not selling a token, perhaps. For sure. The biggest use case at the moment, as we know, is DeFi. And that there's no two ways about it. But I think if we want all the ships to rise, we need to try and get people who aren't in this space to start to leverage the technology and start to see the value on it. And then we'll start to see more people be more comfortable with the opportunity that decentralization offers, whether that's a public DEX, whether it's a private DEX. But I think we've got that, we need to take that step to take get people who haven't been used to or fearful of the blockchain space to start to think, well, actually, there is valid use cases associated with it. Yeah, uh, that's that's a really it's a really interesting question from Rory there, um, and um, I guess uh, Adriana, you probably see as as a developer, um, you, you you probably see more of that sort of side of things yourself as well. Like you, your clients maybe aren't all asking for um, you know to be releasing tokens. Maybe they're just looking at the the actual applications. Um, what what are your thoughts on on the the whole price price ver, you know price versus function argument? Um, so first off, I'm flattered that you think I am a developer, but I'm not. Um, <laughs> I I have just been around this stuff long enough to uh, kind of be able to explain it and understand it. But um, sure. second off, yes, a lot of um, so where I fall on this is uh, everything. Everything's a spectrum. A, a token has as much purpose as one, the community or the uh, people launching it give it. Um, and, and really a token's identity is usually stamped to whatever the community purpose is, um, whether that's you know, in a public situation on permissionless blockchain. In private blockchain situations, most of the time I see utility function as a database, as you, you know, for internal, uh, a lot of internal business, you know, intranets, um, you know, those are a big use case for blockchain, um, just being able to timestamp things with like your, Yuba, you know, with an employee Yuba key, that kind of um, transaction, proof of transaction is very valuable in a, a private setting. But, um, you know, it, it really just depends. And, and in a permissionless blockchain, like Ethereum or EOS or anything that's not BTC, that's considered decentralized, um, you know, the price of that token is community-based, it's sentiment-based, it's whatever the community is deeming it. And some of them have utility, some of them don't. Um, but I'm very free market principle-based, so if you want to gamble your money on these tokens, that's your business. Um, but but I, I don't know that a token price has any, um, like, representation of anything other than the sentiment of the community on that project. Um, you know, there are a, a handful of tokens like maybe BNB, um, where you have those like internal uh, exchange tokens that do have value and the value gets driven up because there's a lot of transactions happening on that network with that token. Um, and so the resources become scarce, which then increases the value of the token. So, you know, when I think of tokens or altcoins, I just see resources on a blockchain and how those resources are being applied if they're valuable is how I base my personal investments. If, if those tokens are being used in a good way for something good, I think it's something I might want to invest in. You know why DeFi is so popular as an initial application for almost every blockchain right now? It's not just that everybody's realized that this is where the demand already is. It's that they've realized that really the only thing that correlates with the token value, it goes beyond sentiment. It's all about liquidity. And liquidity is really the balance between supply and demand. So Correct. sentiment matters. Sentiment matters for demand, uh, and tokenomics matters for supply. If you have like a staking network where there's very restricted available supply of the token on exchanges, there's low supply. And if you have very high sentiment or high hype, there's high demand, you get these sort of explosive price movements. Exactly. But they only happen, they only happen if you have exchanges. So when you launch a native liquidity ecosystem on your network, you are creating uh, a place for price discovery of your own token. 
And then that doesn't replace the fact that you have to have already created a supply uh, glut and, uh, or sorry, a demand glut and a supply restriction. You have to do that no matter what in order to get any kind of price appreciation for whether it's a governance token, a native protocol token, like something, something yielding, no matter what, you have to create that. And then there has to be somewhere for that price discovery to occur. That's that's it, um, that's it. really. Yep. And I say, <laughs> yeah, uh, my background before getting into this space was that I was a derivatives trader for five years. So I care about liquidity more than anything else in the world. And it's shocking to me how little people care about it in the blockchain space. Um, it's baked into every incentive model in your network from the protocol governance layer up to the application layer. And of course, in the, in the mining incentives as well. Pretty much. I mean, it's all, it's all a balance. And, and that's the difference between a bad network and a good network is how well are those resources balanced? How well is that token and this, those tokenomics balanced? That's brilliant. Brilliant answers, guys. Fantastic. Uh, I, hope that, I hope that answered your question, Rory. Yeah, that was great. Thanks, guys. Uh, you're, you're welcome. You're welcome. Uh, so, uh, all right, guys, we're, we're on the hour now, so I think we'll probably wrap it up. Um, before I get you all to sort of like maybe share uh, your Twitter handles and all the rest of it, uh, could I just ask, are you all okay with it if we were to share this conversation on YouTube for those who don't have an iPhone? Yeah, no problem. Yeah, fine by me. Do it. That's excellent. Fantastic, guys. All right. So, uh, yeah, well, I'll, I'll just uh, let everybody know in the audience uh, how they can get hold of us, uh, you know, out, outside of Clubhouse. I will be doing these talks uh, once a week. Um, uh, you can follow uh, follow me and our team on uh, on Twitter at CryptoPigMedia. Um, so please do join us on Twitter. Um, and then uh, Matt, seeing as you're unmuted, if you could share your uh, your contacts for you know people to come and find out more info on Zill. Yeah, at Matt D Dyer on Twitter, DM me there, and yeah, we can have a conversation. Nice one. Uh, and uh, Tor at Tor Bear on Twitter. Last name is B as in boy A I R. There's not that many Tors if you search if you search Tor block blockchain secret whatever there's probably only... i do the one and adriana as well uh you can find me at adriana underscore mdz on twitter it's also in my bio here in clubhouse um and you can learn more about cypherglass at cypherglass.com nice one thank you very much for joining me guys um and thank you for uh for, to rory for his question and lee um, I didn't see any other hands come up. So, uh, yeah, if you have any other questions, guys, yeah, you know, uh, you've, you've just got the contact details for everybody in the talk. Uh, please do reach out to us. Um, it'd be great uh, to see you, you know, to speak to you all outside of this as well. Um, uh, thank you, uh, all of you, for joining me tonight. Really do appreciate it. It was really great chat. Um, hopefully, you'll come back on again sometime <laughs> to, to talk more. Thanks for the invite. No, you're welcome, Matt. Thank you very much. Thank you, guys. It was really a pleasure meeting all of you. Yeah, you yeah. did, Adrian. Thank you. Thank That's you to all. Awesome. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Awesome time, yeah. guys. Thank you. Yeah. Nice one. Cheers, Bye, man. everybody. Take care. Have a great night. And uh, hopefully we'll see more green in the market tomorrow, eh? <laughs>